the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the heart of innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips is here along with me. Also, here is nurse practitioner Kay Smith and nurse um, practitioner and CRNA Catherine Walker, CEO of Revitalist, a group of mental health wellness centers um, across multiple states, including Tennessee and Kentucky. Her colleague, a licensed social worker, Beth Ward, is here as well. And we're going to be talking about the reality of pre- and post-surgery stress and anxiety and how to ease it and get into the best healing mindset. So if you have any questions about how to get into the right mindset pre- or post-surgery so that you can heal in the best way possible. Get your questions ready and call into our hotline, 1-888-367-5329. That's 1-888-367-5329. Before we jump into the topic of the day, Dr. Phillips, your words of inspiration. Ah, Kim, how are you? Well, you know, I'm super psyched today. I unfortunately missed last week's show because I was on call and was dealing with an emergency. So I heard you guys uh, did a fantastic job. Um, But at any rate, to to get us in that right mindset, I have two short quotes, both of which are kind of centered around anxiety um, and maybe not paying paying less attention to yourself. But the first one is from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he says, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. All right. So, you know, chew on that one for a second. And the second one, which I think is kind of humorous, is from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of times we (laughs) perseverate on, gosh, what did I do? Blah, blah, blah. Who's going to, you know, how are they going to interpret that? And at the end of the day, they're probably not even thinking of you. So maybe that's a nice way to ease your anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. I love that one. I always, I always worry about what everybody else thinks. You know, I want to be perfect. I want to do everything right. And so, you know, that, 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 that definitely is, it comes home to me and, you know, Kay. So Kim, well, Kim, yeah. I have to ask, how was your week? How was your week? How's, how's dad doing? I haven't heard any updates. So dad is going to hopefully be back at a um, to 100 percent weight bearing after his um, big fall where he broke, you know, fractured his femur, or fractured yep. his elbow on um, his yep. elbow still has no weight bearing, but at least he'll be on his feet for good, hopefully come next week. So he's doing great. We good. also have Douglas, um, who was on the show last week. He was preparing for 
uh, open heart surgery. He had open heart surgery yesterday. He got the um, intubation, the breathing tube out sooner than expected. Actually, gosh, even less than 12 hours after they were done with the open heart procedure. So he's doing well. We actually have Grady here who wants to give a quick update um, on that. I'm sure that he's going to be able to weigh in on the stress, the anxiety, um, both pre and even right now post-surgery as a family member. Grady. Yeah. Good, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, doctor. And, and I can tell you now, I just got update from the hospital. Doug's still doing fine. Vitals are good. He's looking, you know, he's not quite awake yet. He's still kind of sedated. But they've got him sitting up in bed a little bit more than he did last night when I left about 9 o'clock. And he does have some friends coming in this afternoon to make a quick visit. They're only 30-minute visits, but that will maybe calm some of the anxiety down. But I can tell you, I understand patients get really high anxiety. But as a family member, I can tell you, my anxiety was just as high and probably higher because they're not knowing sitting in a waiting room for nine, 12 hours, you know, so we've got to kind of, as doctors, you got to understand about family members out sitting in a waiting room that I didn't get a visit from the doctor till like four hours after surgery. And I don't know what's, you know, I was getting updates from the nurse, but it wasn't from the doctor saying, Hey, everything was good. And for the last 14 days, I would sit with Doug in the hospital and doctors will come in, and the problem was we'll have different visitors as doctors. You know, I understand the staff rotation and stuff, but they will tell Doug different things. So his anxiety will go up. Mine will go up beyond his because I'm trying to make sure I hear the right things because, you know, patients get anxiety, then they get that passive listening because it gets just too overwhelming from different doctors. But as a brother... I'm trying to hear exactly what he's saying so I can make sure after the doctor leaves, me and my brother can talk about it. And we did. And we got on the same sheet of music. So there's got to be something out there as doctors. Y'all can maybe understand that you've got to talk to the family members, too, after the procedure to let them be more calm. Okay, Doug's fine. He came out and, yeah, I'm a very emotional guy because I only got a brother and sister left and. So, but that's kind of my viewpoint that family members get just as high anxiety, but we got to, I control it. And I know many times going back to the hospital, I would cry, but not in front of my brother, because I got to show that I'm strong for him. But doctors and nurses, you got to understand that y'all need to show a little passion for the family members too, that we're just as anxiety of what's going to happen. You know, especially with Doug's case, he has PAD, he's got the graft, he had the heart surgery. So, but I'm a little calmer today because I'm able to talk to the nurses a lot more. But, you know, it's just not all about, you know, it's just not all about the doctors and and Doug and other patients. We got to make sure the parents and the family members are taken care of, too. Yeah. Brady, can't hear I just want to intervene in here a little bit and say what you just said was so powerful that you could verbalize all of that because you are exactly right. 
there's, and this is every day in the hospital system. So the, you know, the fortunate thing with all the providers is they are very much specialists and they don't always communicate with each other specifically more so through like paperwork when, you know, say Dr. Um, or John's going through like the um, order sets and looking at the notes and different things like that. One thing that I learned in the hospital system is for the family to find one common ground that they trusted who could kind of be that advocate for them. And really it's typically the nursing staff and Kay could probably say more to that. And we um, had some good nursing staff, you know, that, yeah. and I would have to go and talk to them and say, now what, you know, and some of them would go and talk to the doctor and say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Cause the doctor is in and out. Cause I know, I understand he's got other patients and other people he's got to see quick, but spend a few extra minutes Say, okay, Doug, you got any questions? Good. Grady, you got any questions? But a lot of the doctors didn't do it. They just came in, poop, out, and out the door they went. Yep. It's something that's that we need I to create. Keep me on. That's why I said, keep me on the phone, Grady. Don't hang up so that I can ask the questions. <laughs> well, I got a, right little, a couple of the doctors I got a little uh, aggressive with. I said, slow down for a minute because, you know, Patients in that condition, like my brother and other patients out there, they get overwhelmed because the doctors, blah, 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 blah. I said, slow down a little bit, you know. Let the, yeah, you know, like coming up patient. right here on the show, we're going to find out how we can deal with this overwhelming feeling as patients, as family, as caregivers. So stay with us right here on The Heart of Innovation. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Before we went to the break, we were kind of discussing some of the anxiety that family members have when their loved one is undergoing a major procedure, whether it's surgery or an intervention. And, you know, what Grady had said kind of struck a nerve with me because I often as a physician, sometimes, you know, we're focused on the procedure and we obviously try to talk to the patient as much as we can. And we neglect the family members uh, with respect to how, how they're kind of absorbing all that information. For me, the best 
thing about uh, having a lot of family members is they have great support, but sometimes the, the, the news gets muddled a little bit. And um, we always ask for one spokesperson, one kind of advocate for that, that loved one and that we can kind of get our information from. And then the final thing I'll say is when oftentimes when patients are in the hospital uh, and Gritty alluded to this, multiple physicians are seeing that patient and it's a important to have one physician who's kind of that quarterback that gets all that information. And, and we as subspecialists and specialists need to all be on the same wavelength with, with that person. It's typically a hospitalist that we give the, our thoughts and recommendations to. So everybody's kind of on the same page because the last thing that you want is disinformation and confusion because patients hear probably about 10% of what we, what we say and the family members, maybe 50%. And they, they cling to, to kind of words that tend to be a little bit negative and it's important to make sure we convey the right information with the right speed and cadence to both the patient and the family. Kim, may I ask the doctor a question? Sure, of course. Hey doctor, I wanted to know one thing. Why is it that yes, sir. We, we, Doug was going through all these procedures. He had neurologists, he had speech therapies, he had PT people coming in, his cardiologist. But I asked the doctor one day, did you talk to the neurologist? No, we don't talk to each other to get a game plan, an overall game plan. Each doctor had its own individual game to sort of one game plan to come to the outcome. They said, do you meet with each other? He said, well, no, they just read the reports. And if they want to read it, they can read it. Is it because everybody's so busy? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of factors that, that go into that. Uh, typically what happens, a patient gets admitted into the hospital and they may have multiple issues going on. There's an admitting service, usually a hospitalist, that, again, is kind of that quarterback for that patient and, and yes, does day-to-day yes, maintenance. And then the consultants get asked very specific question as, questions as it pertains to what their specialty is. Now, we're able to read the notes of consultant X okay. and okay. Y and Z. Uh, but to your point, we are communicating with each other. Yeah. Okay. They, they, talking to the doctors, they just seem like they were kind of doing their own thing. And, and, you know, we as a, and anxiety yeah. builds and things like that. Well, I think that Dr. Phillips, you're, you, I think you jumped into a, a bad spot as you're driving. So you're breaking up just a little bit. Brady, there was also the fact that there was multiple problems going on at once, and that confused the issue considerably. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Um, yeah, you know, Dr. Phillips, no problem. Um, I was just explaining to Grady that unfortunately when um, Douglas was admitted, there was multiple problems. Right, right. We had the stroke, we had the, the um, MI, we had the right. problems with his cardiology and his troponin levels. Um, there was still physiotherapists wanting to t- speak to him. There was a still speech therapists wanting to speak to him. Right up to the last minute, there was neurologists coming in and they yeah. didn't clear they and came in that out. morning and wanted to do procedures that morning. Yes, and that was because um, he was experiencing pain while he was having a heparin drip, so they wanted another MI's brain. Okay. And right. they wanted a CT scan of his mouth to make sure that none of his He's teeth, teeth. were yeah. abscessed. abscessed. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I knew that. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just wondering. Constantly, all the time. And there was things that even Douglas didn't understand. And when you were told the operation was going ahead, Douglas still hadn't been told. No. And I think he that there is some. He got mad at yeah, me. Yeah, there's. 
Yeah. So there's, it's really interesting. And I think Dr. Phillips and also um, Catherine can probably address this in that um, there are times that in order to preserve the sanity and prevent anxiety in a patient, it's not that doctors or nurses want to hide something from a patient, but sometimes you have to keep things like Douglas was not told, the patient was not told when the procedure was going to be for a certain reason and the family was told, right? And so can you go into that a little bit? Because I think it's important for all of our listeners to understand why sometimes that does happen. Yeah, and and that's very common, and and it's very unfortunate, but there's just so many hands in the pot, right? So the way the the hospital looks at it um, is, you know, you'll have a primary care physician, per se. Um, Sometimes they call those people hospitalists. Sometimes they call them internal medicine. But you have one provider that's supposed to be the primary provider that helps the specialist to kind of stay in line. And unfortunately, that primary provider sometimes still becomes the specialist. And and a lot of times you may get one story from one specialty, one story from another specialty, and it's the same story sometimes, but it's from a different perception. So it becomes very, very, very confusing. So one thing that confused. Yeah. So one thing that I always re- like to recommend when I was an ICU nurse, because we always had like eight specialists on each case. Uh, one thing that I would highly recommend to all family members is maybe in the morning of is to write down questions um, for the nurse and treat the nurse as your primary advocate, but write down all those questions and say, Hey, along the way today, I know all these specialists are going to come by. Is there any way we can get these answered, these questions answered so I can kind of get my base back. So it's almost like you lose your base. Um, so that's something though, for sure that it's not been created. Um, so everything that you just said is beautiful. I know that you've been in a very vulnerable place and it's been very, very hard, but a lot of people can't even put words to what you've experienced. So bravo to you for that. But also it's something that we need to create and maybe, you know, everyone on this show who has such great advocacy, maybe we can create some type of base advocacy on here's how you maintain your base core as a family member, as a patient while you're in the hospital. And, you know, Dr. Phillips could help with that too. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, can you, can you guys hear me? Okay. We can. Yeah. Yeah, I would just, I would just echo those sentiments. I mean, oftentimes when I come in to round on a patient, we have a limited amount of time. And, and I think sometimes family members get a little flustered. And if they have those questions written down, uh, that helps us. The other thing too, is we don't, there's no intent on misinformation for a patient, but, uh, you know, to Kevin's points, there are a lot of, uh, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. And, right, right. Uh, you know, the, the patient can't be their best advocate in certain situations. So then the family member becomes it. And then I think the nurse is a pretty good surrogate as well, because they're often in touch with us as physicians throughout the day. Uh, and that's, uh, that's how I found know, out through the nurse that the surgery was just appropriate updates, you know, because yeah. prior military, I write down questions before I get there in the mornings, like she said. So as I see a doctor, I say, hey, what about this? What about this? And I think somehow or another we need to put out into community as advocates and they got to do that, you know? Yeah. Yes. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to continue this conversation. It's very powerful. You don't want to miss some key strategies to easing your stress and anxiety pre and post procedure. So stay with us. 
years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Whether you're a parent, partner, sibling, or actively using... You know the pain opioids and addictive substances can cause. But you should also know there is hope. Dignity Health St. Joseph's Behavioral Health Center offers medication-assisted outpatient opioid recovery to help qualified adults return to health, wholeness, and the people who love them. Learn more at dignityhealth.org slash Stockton slash behavioral health. Supported by a grant from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're continuing a conversation about anxiety as it relates to procedures and, and kind of pending surgeries. And during the break, we were talking about the the hurry up and wait phenomenon that often occurs. And, you know, just yesterday, for example, I saw a patient who came to see me for um, chest discomfort. And, uh, you know, we were kind of discussing treatment options. And ultimately, we kind of felt like he needed a heart catheterization. And the patient was under the impression that he was going to get it that same day, um, which happens in emergencies, but not, you know, in this particular setting. And, you know, he was a little taken aback that this might be a week or two out. And, um, you know, I don't, as a proceduralist and physician, I often don't really think about that impact that that has on a patient's anxiety level about waiting for the unknown. And so, you know, Beth, uh, a social worker is joining us. Beth, any thoughts on um, kind of uh, any meditation processes or how does a patient cope with that hurry up and wait phenomenon that they often gets thrown in their lap after they get a diagnosis and see a, a specialist and ultimately need a procedure? Right. And before you do, just I mean, I'm I'm right there. We hear it all the time in our network with the way to my heart is, you know, they're afraid they're going to have a heart attack in their sleep between that moment and the moment in which they actually have their heart cap where they go in and clear any narrowing or blockages in the coronary region. 
Yes, thanks. I'm Beth Ward, and I'm a therapist for Revitalist, and I appreciate it, John. And, and um, Grady, what you were sharing about the anxiety of the family, much less the patient, is so real. And it would be so wonderful if everybody knew techniques on ways to calm themselves, because once we feel anxious of the unknown, our brain just gets in that loop. And one thought leads to another thought leads to another thought till you're almost, you know, at a panic state. And then it's hard to settle yourselves down. Um, one of the things that I like to do with my clients is to teach them ways to ground themselves. And everybody has their own way, whether they really realize it or not. And there's many, many different things that you can do. But the one that I always say is the breath work, um, because we can always have that. That's always with us. Nobody even has to know we're doing it. And it calms our whole nervous system down, which then calms our thoughts down. And, you know, the brain wants to believe whatever we tell it. So we have to figure out some ways to tell it something else, at least for a short period of time, because the thoughts are going to come back. Um, but each time they come back, you can readdress them and and do things that um, will ground you. And one of the greatest ways to remember it, I think, is when you think of the five senses. You know, everybody relates differently to sense, to touch, um, so to to really ground yourself in whatever soothes you in the moment. I also was thinking, Grady, when you were talking about probably family is on low energy. They probably haven't slept. Who knows if they're eating really well, like your whole self-care goes out the window. So your anxiety goes up there as well. I wish the whole family had a coach that they could just um, help support them as they go through this. Yeah, talk about that. Lack of sleep can certainly do that. Lack of sleep is a huge factor when it comes to anxiety because it's this vicious cycle. You're not getting enough sleep because you're there with your family member, but then um, you're not getting enough sleep because you have so much anxiety from the procedure and then not having enough sleep ends up creating more anxiety. I got my first night of full sleep last night when we got home from the hospital. I didn't I wake bet. up until like nine o'clock, you know. And, and so, how did you feel after it? How did you feel after you got to sleep? Could you tell the difference? I felt more relaxed and about what things are going on with my brother that I'll be able to readjust and direct my fire now to his recovery and it is rehab. So about worrying about his heart. Mm-hmm. Now I I'm, I know he's got that graft thing going on. But that's later down the road. I need to get him through the next few weeks and months through rehab to where we can get that graft taken care of. Yeah. And you see, Grady, you did something really powerful there. You looked at what it was that you could be in control of. And you knew that you could be in control of um, planning for his rehab. Because often the things that we're the most worried about are out of our circle of control. And one of the one of the exercises I love doing even for myself when I have a whole bunch of things coming at me is I will literally write them down and I'll draw a circle around me and I'll be like, OK, what's in my circle and what's out? And then I'll focus on the little tasks that are within my circle. Well, I've always lived my life. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about what I can do right now, because tomorrow I may not wake up. Well, but. yeah, I mean, great. That's a that's a great point. I mean, number one, there's there's very few things that we can can truly control in life. And so once you, I think, acknowledge that you can control, you know, X, Y, and Z, but you can't control A, B, C, and D, I think that can allow for a lot of inner peace 
kind of like that quote that I gave with uh, Waldo Emerson there. And then the other thing too is I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts about Navy SEALs and how they tackle certain tasks and training. And for them, it's like one task at a time. Yeah, you may have 10 things to do, but you got to get through one to get to two and two to get to three and baby steps, baby, baby steps. That's, That's the key, I think. Yeah, and that's what I told Doug. Don't worry about the graph. Just worry about the next recovery yeah. period in the next few weeks. Yeah, and when we when we talk about this graft, it's it's a bypass graft that was placed in um, Douglas, who we've been talking about the whole show, who was on our show last week, who ended up with open heart surgery yesterday and is doing so well into today. But along with the open heart surgery, he has this other um, bypass graft that goes from his axillary artery that's in his shoulder and goes down to help feed his legs um, and provide extra blood flow that's been blocked. And so that's just another. Um, issue along with it you know the, when you have so many comorbidities um how do you handle that and and you know prevent i think beth and Catherine, this cascading feeling like you are just spiraling out of control you you fix one thing and then it's another and then it's another and then it's another how do you get yourself out of that vicious cycle i can relate that one definitely i don't know about beth Catherine. What were you going to say? Oh, you're good. Go ahead. I've got multiple comorbidities and I go to different consultants for the multiple comorbidities. And I find, like Grady says, lack of communication between them all and they've all got their own agendas. What's first, what's second, what's third. And I think it's really important to, um, as Beth said, put yourself in a box and to mark off what your priorities are and to deal with them one at a time. Um, to look at your symptoms and deal with your symptoms one at a time. What was the most important thing for Doug? It was his heart, then his graft, then it'll be revascularizing his legs. For me, it's a different set of priorities. So that's the best way that I can put it. And coming up right here on the Innovation, we'll have more. So stay with us. You don't want to miss the rest of this conversation. Medical Notepad, brought to you by The Way to My Heart, in partnership with Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Hi, I'm Katherine Walker. I'm the CEO of Revitalist Lifestyle and Wellness. I'm also a provider with a specialty in anesthesia and psychiatry. With this week's Medical Notepad, today we are discussing peripheral artery disease, otherwise known as PAD, and the impact it can have on your mental health. PAD is a chronic circulatory problem that impacts the peripheral arteries of the body, mainly the legs, but it can also impact the arms, as well as the small vessels in the brain. It's tough enough on your mental well-being to be diagnosed with a chronic illness. When it comes to PAD, in particular, if plaque is building up in the small vessels of your brain, it can deprive your brain of oxygen, oftentimes leading to stroke. That is why we oftentimes recommend walking as the best medicine for your circulation in your legs. It also helps to improve your cardiac and your neurologic health. It does this by increasing blood flow and oxygenation to every part of our body. If you have symptoms of a stroke, which oftentimes may be sudden onset of a headache with numbness in any extremity, also confusion, you should contact your physician immediately or call 911 or go to your closest emergency room. With this week's medical notepad, I'm Nurse Katherine Walker, CEO of Revitalist Lifestyle and Wellness. Medical Notepad is brought to you by The Way to My Heart, 
in partnership with Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Remember that the advice and views offered are for educational and informational purposes only. Do not act on any information provided here without the explicit consent of your own healthcare team. For more PAD education, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for continuing to stick with us on this fine Saturday afternoon. Uh, We're continuing our conversation about anxiety as it relates to procedures, uh, that waiting game that we that we kind of play and, uh, you know, the hurry up and, and wait notion that is really frustrating to, I think, patients. And this is a live show. We have a, a question from Marsha. Marsha, welcome to the show. And uh, what's your question? Hi. Thank you, Dr. Phillips. Um, well, I've had four stents put in. I was 100% occluded, but I'm doing uh, post-op, doing great as far as um, blood flow. However, uh-huh. I have application right after surgery with the band that they put on to stop bleeding. And um, I kind of recovered from that. And then I accidentally dropped a knife on my foot. So I'm having a lot of swelling, a lot of problems, but I keep on walking. And it's like, am I doing more harm? Like yesterday, I got 20,000 steps in, which I think is really, really good. But my foot's killing me. And, and it's depressing. I have anxiety. And I don't know, should I take a day off and, and let my foot heal? Or do I keep on walking? Well, number one, folks can get discomfort in, in the foot after a, a leg procedure. We, the, the blood flow pattern kind of changes. The velocity increases. And we call that reperfusion pain. That's not uncommon. The swelling's not uncommon. Um, you know, what I usually tell patients is that mother nature is pretty smart, right? She'll, she'll tell you when you can keep going and she'll also tell you when you need to back off a little bit. We always encourage exercise and movement, particularly after a procedure. But usually what I say to patients is if they're having symptoms, significant symptoms a week or two that are persistent after the procedure, I'll often have them come in the office and we'll just make sure everything's okay and we can check some blood flow patterns and, and things of that nature. We don't want you to, you know, continue to do something that may be harming, harming the foot, but it is, it is pretty natural to have that, that those kind of that swelling and those symptoms after, after a complex procedure to the leg. Okay. Marsha, I wanted to add something. This is Beth Ward. I'm the therapist with Revitalist. I think it's awesome that you are walking. Um, I certainly don't want you to do anything that's not, you know, medically prescribed for you. But if you're not in severe pain and you can manage it, that is like absolutely the best thing for the depression and the anxiety for you to be outside and for the movement. So you're doing great. Well, thank you. You know, I that's kind of what I thought, too. And I've been doing great emotionally until uh, until I dropped that knife and it went right in the top of my foot. And now I'm just I'm just Marcia, you weren't you weren't you weren't juggling knives, were you or anything like that? I mean, <laughs> no, if I, I no? would have okay, been a She's quite talented. <laughs> I know. You know, you never know who's going to be on our show. <laughs> <laughs> no, Marcia. 
I'll add to that too. Like if you're out walking, you know, that's wonderful too. But the biggest piece is also to really focus on your recovery as well. So when you're walking, yes, walk, but also think about all that dependent blood flow. So you got a lot of blood flow that's going down there, which contributes to your reperfusion, which is wonderful, or it's what we want. But then also when you go to rest with the swelling that you're speaking of, elevate your foot above the level of your heart. Well, and I find that, well, like right now I'm in, re- in a recliner, but I have to be completely you do. like all the way back for my foot to be up high, even if I put a pillow under it. And so yeah. I'm having a, fun, a hard time. I, I might buy a wedge. I, and I wondered also if you guys have recommendations on the, the wedge pillows for elevation. But there's also the problem that if you elevate with pad as well, it can make the problem worse because you stop the blood flow to the foot. So it's only slight elevation. Right. But, but I, I wonder if I even have pad anymore because the occlusion is fixed. It never goes away. So I have, a matter of fact, when, when I dropped the knife, it bled and bled and bled. I was That's really afraid. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, it, I have blood there. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, the, even well, to, well, to do it in twenty minute intervals would be would be good to start with. Okay, okay, and then and see if that would be helpful. But yeah, don't don't overdo it. But yeah, even just twenty minute intervals, and then just reassess yourself and try to see does it help with the swelling? What does the pain feel like? And, and see how if that balances it a little bit more. Don't and I'll just say one thing too, Marcia. Yeah. That yeah, just real quick, Marcia, you, you said that you know you're not sure you have pad anymore, and that's an interesting statement. Pad, well, it, we don't cure pad. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just that, that's another misconception. We were just through the break. We were talking about kind of perception versus reality and, and tempered expectations. And a lot of people will tell me, well, you know, you put the stent in, so I don't need to take my meds or I don't need, and I'm not suggesting this is you, but they think they're cured. And I mean, this is a progressive disease and we don't cure it. We treat the symptoms. And so we're always trying as part of what we're doing here today and, and way to my heart, it's all about advocacy and education. And PAD is always going to be with you, always going to be with you. Okay. Well, that's yeah. depressing in itself, <laughs> but I, I no, I don't, I don't want it. Yeah. We don't want it to depress you. It's just, no. it, we, there's very few things we cure in this world, um, but we can manage it and you can manage it as well. And uh, you know, we're here to help you. And that's, what's amazing. Marsha is that with the way you're managing it is absolutely fantastic. You are taking your health into your own hands mm-hmm. and you're not only helping yourself physically by walking, but you're helping yourself mentally by walking and getting 20,000 steps in is huge. The more you're out there walking, the more you're out there hiking, it's literally going to help you to stall that progression of disease and minimize your symptoms. But I can definitely tell, and I think Beth and and Catherine can kind of weigh on this, just based on this conversation, there is so much confusion when you do have a chronic illness such as this. What are some tips from you on just, you know, reining yourself back in mentally when you have a chronic illness? Beth or Catherine? Sorry, I thought that one went to Marsha. Um, so it's exactly what, um, you know, we were speaking about earlier with the, um, steps, you know, in the military. So what I tell a lot of people is to focus on two things, prioritization and categorization, which basically means one step at a time, you know, with all this. So it's, it's, it's not trying to solve the world in one day. 
And when you feel that sense of overwhelming anxieties and I can't do this and, you know, you already went through so much with your surgery and then you drop a knife. And it's almost like you just keep getting punched in the stomach. (laughs) You can't just give me a break. Just, you know, so in the hospital system, we'll usually say that it comes in um, um, periods of threes. So, and I don't know, John, if you, if you all do that, but it's, uh, it's been pretty common to see him come in, you know, periods of three. So, you know, say you got to your surgery. Okay. Well, there was one feet. Okay. Well, I dropped a knife on my foot. Well, there may be a third one, you know, but it seems that things come in periods of threes and then you get a, a reprieve. And it's a, you know, here's a quote from Winston Churchill that says, you know, you're going through hell, keep going. So it's, it's, it's always, you know, the darkness is not always going to be there. (laughs) And there's always some light, but it's just, it's that, it's that grit, it's the endurance. And then what it does eventually is once we get through this, you become such an empowered person that can really look back and love your life. And, but it's, it just, you know, you learn more about yourself in the valleys than you do on the mountaintops. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those pieces. So that's what I would say. I would say categorize, prioritize, look what's in your control at that time in the present. If you have anxieties, your anxieties are focusing on the future. If you have a lot of regret, your regrets focusing on the past. So it's trying to teach yourself to live in the moment, in the present. And that's so difficult, but it's so worthy if we can do it. Wise words, and we'll have final thoughts coming up in just a moment right here on the Heart of Innovation, so stay with us. One in five Americans suffer from a mental disorder like depression, which was once a rare condition just 50 years ago. Why are more Americans anxious and stressed? We'll take a deep dive on October 26th for the future of mental and behavioral health. I'm Bambi Francisco-Royzen. Join me and healthcare innovators from UCSF to Meta, the owner of Facebook, to explore how COVID exacerbated the mental health crisis and whether new tech solutions are working from digital therapeutics, teletherapy, faith-based apps, VR, and psychedelics. Join the conversation or just listen in from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific time on October 26. Go to events.vator.tv to register. That's events.vator.tv. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Um, We are in our final segment of the show. This has been such a powerful, powerful conversation talking about pre- and post-procedure anxiety and stress that is so real and can hinder your ability to heal if it gets out of control, but only human and it happens. But we've been joined by Beth Ward and also Nurse Catherine Walker with Revitalist. They are a group of treatment centers, um, wellness uh, treatment centers um, across Tennessee and Kentucky. And they've been helping us throughout the show to put things into perspective. And I'm wondering, you know, Catherine, you know, first off, um, any tangible, actionable tips that you started going into the break with a few of them and and helping us to put things into perspective and thinking about the present as being one way in which we can um, manage some of this anxiety and stress, not focusing on the future or the past. But what are some of your final thoughts and tips, something tangible and actionable that people can walk away with that will help ease anxiety and stress? Yeah, I think the biggest piece there is um, self-reflection. 
and, 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 and that's unfortunately something that we've not really been taught in society is having reflection as it compares to the emotional capacity. So walking into a situation, I always tell individuals like we should objectively walk in. Um, to anything in life. And then we can bring in emotions as we need to. So if you feel like you're walking into a situation in the hospital and you're being emotionally led, I think having that self-reflection of the emotions that are leading you is the first step to recognition on maybe there's a, something going on to where I should seek others to help me, to help support me until I can learn those pieces. So my personal opinion would be if individuals feel that they're being emotionally led, if they feel symptoms of anxiety or depression or panic or sense of being out of control or just anger. I mean, any emotion, right? I would highly recommend seeking out someone who can help you with the therapy aspect or with life coaching uh, because it's a skill set that we've not really focused on a lot in life. And it's something that we have to learn to develop for our individual selves. So I would definitely say seek out a professional who you could trust, who could help give you some additional guidance just so you can understand um, more about yourself. And yeah, and I'd like to add. I'd like to add to that. There's another part that we really haven't spoken about. Lots of times, the anxiety and the that what seems like depression is really grief, because people have lost their current lives as they wanted to have them, or even lost the dream of what their life was going to be like after the surgery. So I echo what Katie said that you know, for somebody to have. Um, you know, coaching with, to talk with, to try to sort out, what is this really? You know, what's getting triggering me? Obviously, lots are happening in the real time, but what else is going on here? And nurse practitioner, Kay? Um, learn yourself the tapping technique. It hasn't been mentioned by Catherine or Beth, but it's something as a psychologist that we do and pressure points in your hands. Um, because if you press on the pressure points, it actually can refocus your mind and where you are and how you're dealing with it. And tapping technique is actually you tap on certain areas in your body and it refocuses your attention and calms you down by just simple tapping Right. There are some great YouTube videos. You can just look up tapping technique for mental uh, well-being on YouTube and they'll walk you through it. Dr. Phillips, final thoughts. We have about 30 seconds. Yeah, you know, it's just anxiety, as they say, is like a rocking chair. It's often moving, but you, you personally don't move anywhere. So, again, just control what you can control. Life is good. It's short and sweet. So enjoy every day because every day is a gift. And thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. It's been such a powerful conversation, and we hope you will join us again next week right here. Same bat time, same bat channel. So, everyone, I hope you have a great great week. Um, If you want more information, go to theheartofinnovation.org. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. 
The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.